0: This is the Revival Leadership Podcast.
1: Welcome back, friends, to the Revival Leadership Podcast, a podcast about becoming the kind of leaders God can use in times of revival. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, James Chong, who will share about his own aversion and then conversion to revival and how it connects to racial reconciliation.
2: You got me on my soapbox. Come it's on, a baby. bastardization <laughs> of revival that makes it about the soul alone. Yeah. And that it has yeah. to be a season of breakthrough in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal. Just because other people use revival wrongly, as I'm learning, doesn't wow. mean that the idea of revival isn't still valid. All
0: right. Well, James Chung, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today uh via uh the internet the wonders of the internet you're calling from from los angeles or from technically torrance uh, california torrance california Uh hey and how's the weather i have to i have to ask every day Yeah,
2: it's pretty gorgeous it's in the lower 70s today yeah on the cooler side but
0: yeah yeah oh that's great Sorry, man, how's it out there in Rhode Island? It's lovely. Yeah, the leaves are lovely. It's there's a chill on the air. It's time for <laughs> cider and donuts. Oh, nice. If you're not watching your carbs or anything like that. So, but yeah, James, we're just happy to have you on the podcast and um I just introduce James a little bit. Uh you've been just such a a mentor to me. I've got to uh be under your leadership as the when you used to be the Director of Evangelism for Intervarsity, and uh, got to fly out and visit you at an important discernment moment in my life, and Mm -hmm. learn from your wisdom, and um, and and author of many leather-bound books. uh, (laughs) Is that right? (laughs) True Story, uh, which is a great book about um, the gospel and ways to think about sharing it and real life. And I hear a rumor that you and uh, my friend Ryan are potentially coming out with a new book.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Yes, that's and uh, and this one is on a favorite topic of mine, which is revival. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. So and and um, James's role in Intervarsity, your role is uh, the the vice president and director of innovation and strategy.
2: That's so, right. right. Uh-huh. Strategy so, and innovation. Yep. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's, it. that's awesome. So, well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast. And, you know, one of the ways we like to open up as we have guests is just to hear um, some of your own personal journey, your own heart around this concept of revival. And so I just love for you to share, like, how did this concept of revival become
2: meaningful or compelling for you
0: personally? Tell us a little your story with that.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, finally, we were able to put this together. So I know
0: it, it took it. a while. It took a while, yep. but we're busy people. You're probably much busier than me, but we we got you here. So
2: <laughs> it's good to be here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny because uh, and very ironic that I'd be here because um, my very first talk. So uh, my very first conference talk, going somewhere else to speak. We're up in uh, the the mountains above. I believe Colorado Springs, um, and we're way, way up there. And the first sermon that I ever give is a, about why we shouldn't be seeking revival.
0: What Actually,
2: seeking revival was a bad thing. Like you know, I, so I grew up in a where everything was revival. I grew up in a Korean immigrant church, and mm. anything that wasn't like a Sunday morning was called a revival meeting or a revival gathering. We were always seeking revival, and I think it just. Seemed like emotionalism to me, you know, Uh, sort of a gearing up of all these feelings so that we can feel fervent and hot for for (laughs) Jesus. And um, so I went up there to teach. And so I I really went after revival and said, don't seek it. Don't it's it's not healthy to do that. I was saying that I couldn't even find it in the scriptures, you know, four (laughs) times in the Bible, uh, but it didn't seem like this major theme. So I just went after it and then um, said, seek faithfulness instead. Right, mm. I put it against faithfulness, mm. and so uh, yeah, I really actually was pretty against, very much against the term revival, and had a bit of an allergic reaction to it for a long time.
0: Yeah, you had yeah. some some inoculation to that concept, and mm. is that is that because so you're saying this is a Korean church, which and of course you're Korean, so that would make sense. But do you feel like that concept of revival? How did that become important to the Korean church? Was that as a result of past experiences, like the early twentieth oh, century? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. Right at the turn of the twentieth century, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, you know, Korea, the home to the largest churches in the world. Yeah. Um, at the turn of the century, wasn't a very, wasn't very Christian at all. Yeah. And uh, the Presbyterian missionaries came and. Uh, Sort of what became known as the Pyongyang revival. that Christianity took root in the north mm. and it exploded and My um, actually that's I'm a direct spiritual descendant of that where my grandfather was an early leader sort of after that started um, but when the communists came to uh, The north part of Korea a lot of us so both of my families come from what is now known as North Korea They all had to flee because of their Christian faith. Uh, My Mm. grandfather was on the hit list uh, uh, to be captured or to be, because um, he was a business owner and a a church leader. So he had to run with his family, cross the river. It's like, I could tell you that story. It's like a Hollywood escape story. They're one of the families that crossed the Han River to get to the South. Um, My mother's family also having a similar journey to the South. So, Um, yeah, you know in the korean psyche, you know the birth of the church really for the korean people came out of this revival And so there's constant Talking about revival, uh and the need for it and then now that once the korean immigrant koreans went came to america And with the immigration waves in the 80s in particular Um, they just brought that with them and now they're in this new land and was i continue to seek the lord in that so yeah i yeah, uh, kind of grew up with that language and yeah um I had a pretty allergic reaction to it
0: yeah oh uh, gosh it's so interesting so so what um talk more about i mean that's so powerful here you are the anti-revival <laughs> yeah that's right preacher <laughs> preaching against revival and here you are on the podcast so like you know What, uh, share a little bit about your own kind of, I guess, theological journey or what were some of the, how, yeah, how, how did that, um, your cons, your, your feelings about revival begin to shift?
2: Yeah. So I had to get to revival through a back door. So, um, college and on I've had this connection with the vineyard, uh, movement and, um, so, so you're, in college you're
0: had, currently a vineyard pastor, right?
2: I mean, I am ordained in the vineyard, ordained district.
0: in the vineyard. Yes. Yeah.
2: So no, they were a huge part of my spiritual awakening in college and, um, sort of for good or for worse, the Toronto blessing was happening at the time and, uh, the person that guy used to start it up in Toronto. Had come to Boston, and so a lot of us went to see what that was about, mm. um, and some connection there. And so there's there's a part. Well, actually, for every Korean, no matter what denomination they are, there's a bit of the charismatic in them, right? Like, yes, whether they're Baptists or Presbyterians, it doesn't matter. They are still going to have the prayer meeting. They're going to talk about a prophetess who's telling them things about what God is saying. You know, there's there's uh, it's an oppressed people group, so it's spiritual. Uh, spirituality is earthy and emotive mm. and all of that stuff is there um, but uh, you know it, it, it's been so it's been a part of me for a while yeah and um, but about 2013 about four or five years ago as I was taking on the director of evangelism role um, you know uh, so I was processing through that and discerning that and I was heading into that and I um, was at a conference, a National Vineyard Conference. And mm. um, yeah, I don't know how the hearers are taking this right now. But we went together, and there was this time where they were um, helping us hear from God. And we went to this room, and they invited those who wanted to grow in their revelatory gifts or prophetic yeah. gifts come over to this room. And so I went and checked that out. And yeah, uh, they asked if anyone, you know, they started going around and started to pray for people from the front of the room with everyone yeah. hearing. And, you know, in those situations, I always get, passed over i've been in situations where prayer ministers are going in a line and yeah. they get to me and i'll just go like ah you don't need it <laughs> and I'll pass me on you know like that kind of business. <laughs> no i do need it come on still, like, oh yeah come on it's because they'd be like friends or something would happen and then they would just like treat me like a buddy well in this room they had me stand and uh you know the first thing that they said was like you're you're the lord says you you're a crazy like if god has you say anything if god, if god tells you anything you'll do it you know and mm. that felt like oh i feel a little known there like yeah I've, I, I would want to be that guy but mm-hmm. there's a piece of me that, like if god tells me to do something we're gonna go for it um but then uh then he goes you know have, have you i just hear the word education does that connect with you mm-hmm. uh and I go, do, do you feel called to pursue more degrees? And at that point, I, I had a doctorate. So I was like, no, I, no, I don't think that's me at all. Um, but hey, I'm entering into this new role as, a, as director of evangelism for our InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And, you know, the whole one goes, oh, you know, education. Um, and then he says, and he didn't mean this exclusively to me, but yeah. he's, what he says is the Lord's going to use you to bring the Holy Spirit to the campuses. Come on! Now the Holy Spirit's already there, right? So yeah. theologically, what, what's he saying? Yeah. Um, but I knew what he meant was it just it would create more space. That somehow in my leadership in this season, I'm supposed to create more space for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. On campuses and universities throughout the country, and when he when he said that, it just yeah. it hit me like a ton of bricks. It, yeah. I just tears started to flow, and in my wow. heart, if I had the privilege of sort of opening up space so that more of God's spirit can move in ministry throughout colleges and universities in our country. Uh, I'll sign up for that. Yeah, Um, And then shortly after that, just trying to make the long story short, then events and things would happen where more and more spaces would occur, where then for some reason I'm starting to teach on power giftings in in spaces that aren't normally like that, like an university. Yeah. Adversity, yeah. Right? And starting to teach our Holy Spirit and witness course. And yeah. that sort of open things up more and more.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I do feel like if my, this is the journey to revival, is I do feel what's on my heart is trying to balance word, deed, and power in a ministry and in university. Mm-hmm. We, we have a huge word kind of value, like yeah. a medium-sized deed, justice, compassion value, yeah. and then a tiny, tiny power value in the yeah. way that it, it works out.
0: Yeah.
2: What would it look like for those things to balance out?
0: Yeah,
2: And uh, if I can be a part of helping to bring that kind of balance and an openness to God's spirit while hanging on to God's word, while yeah. seeking his justice and righteousness yeah. uh, in the world today, that uh, if we can do that in his power, yeah, <laughs> uh, really tapped in, um plugged in deeply. Yeah. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And I thought, yeah. wait, not by human power, but God's power. That 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 that's the, that's what I want to be a part. And then so because I was opening up those spaces, then our mutual friend Ryan's in my ear talking about revival at the same time. And yeah. just started to see how those paths started to come together. Yeah. And that qualitatively in expression of revival, it's the fullness of word, deed and power. Yeah. And that all of those in in kind of great revivals of history, all three of those were working in tandem. Yeah. And I'd want to see that. That'd be a huge, incredible thing to be a part of.
0: Yeah. We've been using that definition on the podcast, a a breakthrough in word, deed, and power. Where did that, I mean, because I think you and may have like, and some other think tank buddies have like kind of. Expri- it's not an obviously not a new idea because God's always cared about sure. those aspects of the kingdom. But where did that set where did your theological kind of insight around balancing those three elements uh, arise? You remember when, like, how you guys started re- thinking about that and using that as a framework for kind of analyzing, I guess. <laughs> You know how much the kingdom is breaking in in any specific setting.
2: Yeah, no, it it actually has a bunch of multiple sources. Um, I've studied under Bobby Clinton, um, J. Robert Clinton, yeah, making of a leader, and he talks about. Um, I hope I get him right. Word, love, and power, mm. and gifts, and he in that he creates these uh, gift mixes or um, gift maps yeah. where you can sort of figure out where you fall between those three. Yeah, um, I, I'm. Uh, I get have a connection with uh, the president of church resource ministry, Sam Metcalf, who yeah. wrote a pamphlet on word, Dean and power that yeah. he sent to me. Um, Ryan Pfeiffer was working on word, Dean and power as a witness paradigm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there were uh, multiple streams all yeah. talking a, about a similar idea. Yeah. Um, and then, so when the council of national evangelists got together, that's the group that yeah. came up with that revival definition. Um, yeah. We felt like having word, Dean and power in the definition felt yeah. not only important but a really helpful tool right because yeah that's yeah. the that's the problem when you talk to like current day revivalists i don't know right. what it was like a century ago but today a lot of people have that allergic reaction to that word and i think primarily around because it it, it sounds of something of excess uh, some like your friend who's like deeply in the charismatic movement and yeah I don't know, whatever straw man vision you want to put it like they're on their hands and knees and barking and yeah, roaring like the lion of Judah. Yeah. Handling snakes and scorpions, right? Like you, you sort of,
0: well, which I'm, I'm personally open to, like, I haven't experienced that, but, um, you know, (laughs) if the Lord wants to do that, I'm game, but there is something though about the balancing of those elements that feels compelling, you know? And it's like, I was thinking about even the three classic streams of the church, the evangelical. I I think we talked about this in season one. The evangelical church probably really emphasizes the word of God and the son of God, I think too, the second person, Mm -hmm. of the Trinity, the Mm -hmm. charismatic church. I would say emphasizes the spirit of God and the power of God. Right. And the mainline church probably emphasizes God as creator. And, uh, and they like the, you know, they probably like sacramental embodied realities, you know, like the the wine, the elements, the, you know, the, probably also rhythms of activity or behavior, you know, that were like a rule of life or things like that come through that stream of the church. But mm-hmm. what you're saying is that all three streams, almost like almost like a stage light, you know, like a stage light has... Let's think about this. If you there's three colors, red, blue, and green, that when you combine them all, produce nice. pure pure light. But if you're missing a color, it it like it skews the you know the. I mean, you know, only red and blue only make purple. You have to add green for it to become white light. So, so mm-hmm. it, it the, taken together, the three of them describe aspects of God's kingdom. Um, but we all probably have. A bent, you know, like we all probably have. A, like you're saying, interVarsity probably leans towards the word. That's where we're most comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so, your sense is, my calling is to help interVarsity grow in the power of the Holy Spirit.
2: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, as we're writing on revival, one thing that we're working through is a lot of revivals don't start with all three. Mm. Sometimes it's coming through a particular circle. Mm. Um, uh, but what we want to say is even if it comes through a particular circle, as a revival matures, it starts to head toward the center. If you mm. think of these circles overlapping, um, that it's it's driving itself to the center so that if it starts in word, let's say, it brings in word and uh, deed and uh, power. If it starts in power, it brings in word and deed to, to keep it healthy and that there's a, a balance and that if you just hang on to the one side without balancing the other, yeah. then we fear that it would be either short-lived or not fully mature. Yeah. Um, and then we put love at the center of that. You know, mm. that that's just a deep thing because you could chase word or deed or power without love and yeah. then i think you've totally missed then the heart of revival or the heart of the kingdom that yeah. has to be expressed out of a selflessness a giving a sacrificial kind of love and yeah. it's always not about us but about others and what the lord is doing and so yeah how do we do that but yeah that it's meant to keep it healthy yeah and you can just imagine the movements that seek power but without word right what that does yeah or someone that seeks deed without power and what that does and um you know even even to highlight what that's going to look like Now what's crazy and why we do that see and the big point of that is that people who are strong in word gifts
1: just
2: mm-hmm. sort of unbridled and just chasing the word gift tend to denigrate those in deed or in power Ah. Uh. Right. So if you're strong in word, sometimes you think social justice activists, what does that have to do with the gospel? Right. right. You just denigrate them. Or those power people, they're just shaking and baking. What are they, are they <laughs> in the scriptures? And you can have a sense of superiority that divides yeah. you from the other two circles. Yeah. Where also if you're a deed person and you look at the word person right, right and you're like, well, that person's like, uh, what's that quote? So heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Right. Why aren't they like helping us in this protest? Or they'll look at the power person and say like, well, you know, you're just in your prayer closet rather than engaging the deepest needs of the day, right? Yeah. And you can see a power circle yeah. looking at the word person going like, you have a form of godliness, but you deny its power, yeah. right? Or they look at the deed person and just go like, you guys are so angry. Why not yeah. just like enjoy God's spirit? You know, you could see how the enemy wants to actually tear us apart, but these three circles, you have to actually work at it. You actually have to, faith in God and the gospel and faith in each other, right? You have to work to keep these together because they yeah. don't naturally do that. They actually, yeah. in its own nature, tend to separate.
0: Yeah. So that makes me ask, uh, uh, like, as a revival leader, so part of our goal is to help kingdom leaders become revival leaders. Like, what, I mean, what would you say, like, um, say you have a church, for instance, that is – um, very comfortable living in the deed circle. Or say you're thinking, let's make this non-hypothetical. Think about intervarsity that probably has majored in manuscript Bible study. You know, we we're at, have a deep love for the scriptures and proclaiming the gospel. But, and say you're, you've identified it, it, that it, it's kind of weighted that way. Like, what, how are you thinking, or how would you encourage revival leaders to think about Um, leading and longing for revival in that kind of setting.
2: Does that Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the temptation, let's say you're in a... And why I label it, you're right, I think word, because of the things that you mentioned were strong enough. I put deed as a medium thing because although we're not perfect at any of these things, right? Yeah. We have a history of seeking racial reconciliation, right? With yes. integrated Bible studies in camps. Yes. 20 years before the civil rights movement in the 40s. Yes. That kind Praise of God. When it was dangerous, right, to take that bus right to the camp. Um, so it's, it's there. But yeah, yeah, I think the temptation for word people is once you taste something else, you just sort of jump there mm. and sort of disavow where you've come from. And oh. again, what we're saying is don't jump a circle, come to the center. If you're a word person or you're in a word-centered organization, well, how are you going to get people involved in deed and in power? Well, you're going to have to do it through the word. Mm. And so rather than just go like, well, you're so in your book, you're you're so in the book that you can't see what God is doing in the world today, right. and criticizing them. Right. Why not sort of study the scripture together because that's the value in the organization and say like, yeah. well, and the scripture is like, obviously God's power moves and is is alive and well and doing some amazing things. And you, could sort of, you could take that from the scriptures. Yes. Show them from the scriptures why this is good and why it's worth chasing. Yeah. And create spaces that aren't manipulative, but places for them to explore and experiment. Yeah. You know, I think that's really why we, in our, uh, when we teach on the Holy Spirit, why we stay grounded is because we try to keep it in the scriptures. and. Yeah. We keep it really low key to try to keep it from uh, some of his excesses. Now there's places for high key emotional expressions so, in the Holy Spirit. That's it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, but we just know at this stage it probably alienate some people because we won't feel as grounded in word and deed. And so yeah, um, yeah, you sort of honor the charisms that God has given to your organization.
0: Yeah.
2: Right, and that, and then sort of take it from there and invite people to the center. Yeah. And you do it in love, right? You don't do it criticizing. You yeah. do it by saying, come, it's, water's fine. Come check it out. And then debriefing, why this is scriptural, why this connects, how this connects to justice, you know? Um, uh, the, a lot of times those things, right? As, as you know, like the, when you talk about revival or spiritual things or even the church world that like gets divided from like justice or yeah. things that are happening in the world or culture or politics, yeah. Um that's sort of like, that's why these circles are needed. You, you're you not trying to, to separate yourself from the world completely. You're not trying to be of the world completely. You're trying to find yeah. a way to be a part of the transforming kingdom of God in the world today and kind of need all three of those to do yeah. that. Well. This
0: is blowing my mind right now. I mean, thinking about past revivals and um, the ways that Word and deed, I think, well, and power, obviously, but word and deed in particular were wedded together in past movements of revival. And then they do seem to be pitted against each other. And my my church history brain is thinking back right now, even to like the, you know, the probably the early 20th century where you had the the um, uh, the, I guess, the liberal stream of the church kind of moved apart from the fundamentalist stream and you had that divide where Mm -hmm. it came in the early part of the 20th century. We've, we struggled even, you know, to reconnect those parts of the church, like almost like different parts of our brain that are meant to operate in tandem, but they have been somehow separated from each other. And
2: yeah. And it's really sad. I think a lot of evangelicals today, that's such a good point, right? Like it's sort of like the great divorce. Yeah, where the body and the soul divorced each other in the church in the early yeah. 20th century, and we're sort of like its children, going like, uh, "Do we go with mom or do we go with dad?" You know, like, uh, and we find ourselves torn. Why do we have to choose between mom and dad? Yeah, um, we want to love both of our parents. Yeah, and actually, they're meant to be together, right? Like in this case, <laughs> soul, they were meant to be together. And how can we keep that together? Yeah. Uh, And you know, just you point to previous revivals like the Second Great Awakening and its deep influence on the abolitionist movement. Yeah. Um, And William Wilberforce and his faith and how that affected how he expressed his politics and thus the dismantling of slavery in the British Empire. He just um, you can almost argue like would would that have been successful without revival? Yeah. Um, It's sort of. I think we tend to think about revival in way too small a thing, like. The some emotional vibrancy that's happening yeah. inside a church, yeah. rather than the expression of it and word and power throughout yeah. society and culture, and we just—what would it look like if I just—you know—I'm looking at at the world today and just going, well, are we really hoping in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party to save us? like oh come on y'all yeah i'm (laughs) not is that what we're trying to do either way right neither party stands for jesus we just straight up say like neither party stands for jesus they don't the kingdom of god has got to be bigger than that or else we don't have hope in our country or in the world today yeah and we're trying to use these elements of power right instead of relying on god's spirit to awaken us all to the goodness of god and perhaps say that actually we should be caring for people who aren't like us either in gender or race or class because we're all made in God's image and then yeah. there's sort of an upswing of that in our soul and we believe it in our heart and God loves us all i mean it's just hard to think we're going to have real change without revival
0: yeah so this is a this brings me to another question i wanted to ask you about james because i know uh i know, i know like the the topic of uh revival is incredibly important to you and also uh, thinking about race, racial reconciliation, racial justice, um, and so I know that uh, one of the things I'll just share some of my own as as a as a white male um, who has been uh, yes, you are. A, yeah I am. <laughs> yeah delightfully so <laughs> <laughs> um, you know call to lead a, a multi ethnic community um, to seek God for revival. You know, some of the concern that I get from folks are maybe ambivalence about revival. Like, and I would say, especially from there's there's folks that are deeply passionate. I guess they've been in the in the deed box, and and mm-hmm. so you know, I'm saying, hey, I really feel like God's calling us to seek Him for revival. And the, some of the comments I've heard are things like, I hear, you know, lots of white church leaders or white pastors using, throwing around the term revival, I hear lots of folks say, for example, in the, in like activist communities or in the black church talking about ending white supremacy or, or addressing systems of injustice and almost Mm -hmm. like, um, pitting the two against each other. And I just want to ask, like, in your mind, how do you, how do you think about those two Values in a way that like, how do those fit together for you? How does the, how does the concept of revival and like go together with racial justice, um, you know, helping to bring unity in a really divided moment in our history? Like, do, do you help me out here? (laughs) help me so i can help my friends think
2: about this (laughs) sure just ask a small question uh yeah we'll we'll tackle that in a podcast um no no i think it's a great question um and precisely because right it's even it's it's deeply embedded in the dna of the christian faith Mm. like um the beginning when when jesus comes and announces the proclamation of the kingdom in luke chapter 4 right it is a full-on spiritual expression that also has this other social expression that's like the um the prisoner will be set free the blind will see right there's this sense where the marginalized are now a part of this kingdom and somehow all of this stuff gets made right Right, Justice and righteousness actually can happen because the king of the kingdom is here. And then because he takes on the cross uh, the powers of sin and death, including the powers and principalities that um, systemic issues of sin and systemic ways of injustice and the ways that are being, all of the power of that dies with him on the cross. Mm. And when he comes back to life, days later he's announcing that not only is a new life possible for each one of us but a new world is possible because Mm -hmm. all of that's been nailed to jesus on the cross and in the resurrection the the penalties and powers of sin and death no longer have the final say Mm -hmm. and you just then open that up then to the birthplace of the church in acts chapter 2 where Not everyone hears the word in Aramaic and understands it, but there's an affirmation of culture and ethnicity because everyone hears it in their own heart language. You know, just like, and then how that blows itself out to Revelation seven so that it's no longer a Jewish thing, but this crazy thing where every tribe and nation and people and tongue are gathered and worshiped together on the throne so that no heaven isn't like just listening to Hill songs or Chris Tomlin. Right? We love it's, them. We, we love like them. Salvador Fred Hammond. We love them all. No, no, but yeah. it's not just going to be one thing. Right. And it's not going to be hamburgers in heaven and hot dogs only. <laughs> is it heaven if kimchi isn't there? You know, like it's, <laughs> in its very vision of what, if everything is good and made right, in its very vision of the kingdom of God, it is a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational incredibly diverse community that comes together as one but doesn't blur out those distinctives yeah uh, in a redeemed way now so then when revival happens yeah it's supposed to blow up like that acts yeah. two right it's a, yeah. when revival happens then it isn't just for the jewish people it's for yeah. jewish and gentile alike from all of the known roman world and then when they work things out like in Acts six where the Grecian widows are being neglected, you know, revival then says you got to address that systemic injustice and work that through. And then Acts 15, this deciding council in Jerusalem on whether or not the Christian faith will stay Jewish or open up to Gentile in revival. You got to ask those questions and you keep pressing into the justice and righteousness of God as you seek revival. It is only... You got me on my soapbox. Come it's on, a baby. bastardization of revival that makes it about the soul alone. Yeah, and that it has yeah. to be a season of breakthrough in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal. Yeah, right yeah. of kingdom uh, faithfulness and fruit, of fruitful expression, um, experience, and fruitfulness. It, yeah. You, it just uh, just because other people use revival wrongly, as I'm learning. Wow. doesn't mean that the idea of revival isn't still valid. Wow. And if you add to that, right, then wait, here's the other way to pull that out, right? Yeah. Even people who are allergic to revival, if they're Christian and yeah. sort of leaders in the community, yeah. if you say, but what if this happened and you start explaining the marks of revival? Right. Everybody like, yeah, we want that. We want to yeah. see all these people become followers of Jesus, fall in love with what He's doing, be a yeah. part of His purposes of justice and righteousness, and uh, yeah. loving people into the kingdom come. You know, filled with the Holy love, Spirit. <laughs> we would love that. We yes. would, all of us would love it. It's just, but don't don't call it revival, right? <laughs> right? Right? Um, and sort of that's maybe the reason why I'm sticking with it these days. Sticking with the term revival, yeah, yeah, because it's such a saucy word. It's yeah can't ignore it. It's, it yeah. creates a feeling one way or another, whether you yeah. get jazzed up or you get pissed off. Yeah. It's a hard word to ignore. And a yeah. lot of people are using it. And given that fact, why not define it in such a way that is closer to the kingdom yeah. rather than let others define it in a way that yeah. wouldn't be.
0: Yeah. I think that's really, that is a that is a profound concept. And I'm even thinking about you know, revival, it is that in-breaking. And if we look back through salvation history, um, the our, our progress towards, you know, God's ultimate purpose, Revelation 7, New Jerusalem, ha- has come in these fits and starts. It hasn't always happened uniformly throughout time.
2: Oh, of course not. And, That's right.
0: And so, you know, the advance of God's kingdom is kind of movement-like, or it's like waves, or it's like the tide comes in and out, or That's good. Know, there's seasons, there's a springtime, and then the church moves into winter. But what we're talking about with revival is really looking at the kingdom of God, which is, it's it's coming in its fullness, but it, it, there, are, there are seasons in history where it advances forcefully, and advances yeah. in word, deed, and power, and that—that's what we're when we're defining revival. That's that's how we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I love it. So uh, uh, here's a here's a question. Now that I've brought this topic, I'm I'm making myself think about um, the idea of how um, how there is kind of a cyclical pattern uh, to revivals. Mm -hmm. the advance of the kingdom and i know one of the one of the areas you've studied and i think probably influenced the writing of true story is the idea of generations and generational theory Mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if you can share a little bit some of your thoughts on how the idea of generations fits with revival as you think about
2: revival Ah, uh, that's a great question. So yes, um, for the book, Real Life, Not True Story. Okay, um, Real Life, yep. And it informed that it, it actually comes out of my dissertation. I, I studied postmodern leadership development. And yeah. Was uh, sort of working through the history of philosophical and generational shifts in raising up the next generation of leaders. That was sort of my primary concern and question. Um, but during it, I stumbled across the work of Strauss and Howe, um and particularly their seminal books um the book generations which came out in 91 and Mm -hmm. the fourth turning which came out in 97 Mm -hmm. Um, and in generations in particular uh it you know it was a new york times bestseller (laughs) al gore bought it for every member of congress that kind of thing it was kind of big when it came out but i hadn't heard about it back then yeah Um, when i stumbled upon it um what it and i'm vastly oversimplifying i'm sure but maybe to say that what they found was that there was a four-generational uh, cycle uh, that the characteristics of the generations would, would repeat itself a- after four generations um, and skipped it only once, which was after the Civil War, which is such a traumatic experience in, a, wow. in this country that it did skip a generation. But otherwise, it, it held. And then the fourth turning expands that into Western uh, Europe and other parts. So, and then you would say, well, what about the other parts of the world? When I've been teaching some of that stuff, like in Japan or Singapore or other places, um, Thailand, I'm surprised how much resonance there are around some of these things. Wow! Uh, uh, So, I mean, just to say then, um, what they would say, and they actually then, because of this movement, these four generational cycles, and then they sort of work that out and how that would look like when you when these generational cycles move through time. Mm. um, Then they have four stages of life and. You can imagine that as it's going over time, like a millennial would be a child at one point and then a young adult and then a midlifer and an elder. And then in the constellation of um, the generations, it's a turning, a generational snapshot. And -hmm. because of that, they actually suggest that there's a reason why there's a spiritual awakening every 80 years based on this generational cycle, right? Between the first and the second uh, great awakening. um, And then the spacing sort of to then the, the Jesus movement and all the other spiritual stuff that happened in the sixties yeah. um, that they're spaced about every 80 years. Yeah, It's kind of an odd thing and not to be fatalistic about that, yeah. but um, and I'm not saying it has to be a, a specifically a Christian revival. It's just yeah. spirituality takes on a new importance in this yeah. particular cycle. Um, and so because of that, right? Like when you talk to people in their sixties and seventies now, like people who, kind of lived through the Jesus movement, yeah. particularly Christian leaders. And you ask them like, you know, what was like sort of the most vibrant time you can think of spiritually? Oh, almost everyone will point back to the Jesus movement. Right? Right. So many organizations and denominations and yeah. just vital expressions of the Christian faith today came out of that movement. right? Um, powerful, powerful time. So generational theory would say that in this next turning, the one that's coming up, So we're currently in the crisis era and we're moving into this, what they call a high era. um, That actually, that tends to be a time when spirituality takes a no dive. And then out of that reaction comes the spiritual awakening. So if you buy generational theory, right? Like if it comes true, then you can actually look forward to 20 more years of an erosion of spiritual interest. Um, and this is huge conglomerates, right? We're not. Yeah. of course, individuals will still yeah. hold center, but
0: yeah, individuals, churches. I mean, they can. They, they they're on their own spiritual timeline, but you're talking about the the mass. I mean, according to this theory, which you know, is, there's some plus or minus margin of error. You know, if you yeah, it, right? but but the idea would be that there would be a, so a continuing decline, erosion of spirituality.
2: Yeah, for the next 20 to 30 years. uh, And then a spiritual awakening after that.
0: Well, which totally... I mean, on one hand, that's disappointing to me because (laughs) I want it to come tomorrow. On the other hand, it does feel like there's something about that 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 I can identify with, at least, though. You know, as I look around and at our current cultural moment, like, it does feel like there is an erosion of spirituality. And you look at all the uh the, the latest polls, the Barna study, the Pew study, and uh church attendance is declining. May, now maybe that's just revealing something that was already there, the inherent kind of um weakness of our spirituality. And people are just like, well, I'm just gonna stop going to church now. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, I mean I know there a lot of uh, a lot of folks have been really thinking though about the idea of um God creating for Himself a remnant, though, in this season of decline. So, Mm -hmm. one of the important things for us, however long the revival takes, is will we be prepared for, in order to steward what God is doing when the the next move of the Spirit or the next season of revival comes? You know, are we going to be in a position to catch the wave when it, you know, when it hits?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even if the big one doesn't happen. Yeah, and we don't know whether it will or not. And they 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 try not to be fatalistic about it. There could be some catastrophic event that sort of orients us um, back to spiritual things. Um, but, yeah, we're in a time where, like, post-Christian slash secular culture hasn't really gotten to the end of the runway, right, of what that's mm. going to look like. Right now It's it's taking over. It's starting to just sort of take the moral high ground right now. Mm-hmm. Right, Christians are seen, um, you know, like twenty years ago, Christians were seen as like when I was in college, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, Christians were like, you know, they would say, "Oh, we respect you for doing that. We could never do that, but at least we respect you and your views on sexuality." Like, if you save yourself from marriage, unquote, unquote, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that was respected. That the Christian views on sexuality were respected, like twenty, thirty years ago. Now you considered intolerant or bigoted yeah. um, and um, the moral high ground is shifted yeah. to the outside culture. I think we're going to see the extension of that for the yeah. next couple of decades, yeah. right. And then, but then at the end of that rope, we're going to see like, Oh, that might lead us to a place of emptiness at the end of it. And yeah. people will start searching again. So no, I think there's still some runway left for uh, for Christians to keep on being vilified. <laughs> there's a, you know, this. That, that's, I think, a, a reality to, to address. But at the same time, uh, even if that's true, like, let's say, like the big quake, I live in California, right? Yeah. Let's say the, the big spiritual quake is like 20, 30 years from now. That doesn't mean like tremors don't occur along the way. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, in our book on, on revival that that's coming out next year, you know, we actually talk about the Richter scale and how these various degrees and strengths of, of an earthquake but all of it's still considered an earthquake yeah and in revivals also similarly are there ones that are more cross-national and just global in its scope and others that are just really super local hyper local yeah Yeah. and um sort of we as the remnant we don't know which revivals we'll get to be a part of whether it's the big daddy quake or if it's the little tremors inside of our own personal souls yeah um but you're right, we want to be ready for whatever tremors come. Yeah. And so be prepared. Uh, and maybe, uh, you know, a, a more like gentle analogy is so when the wave comes, right? Like, yeah. you might not get the big one, but these little ones, you can still surf them. Yeah. And, right? There's still ways to continue to prepare for the smaller ones that yeah. come, and those are going to be good. And you yeah. still chase them, and they might lead to other things. We don't know. All of that's yeah. in God's hands. Yeah. But if we do put ourselves in a place of preparation, that's where faithfulness does is important. It is, and how how can we be ready for whatever God might call each of us and our communities to in the moment?
0: And it's also, I mean, when you look at past revivals too, God, God almost always prepared the leadership for the revival, you know, beforehand. Like I, I think of the story of like Evan Roberts, for instance, who felt probably had a personal. Um, awakening and a hunger for more of God. And he began going in, in since the call to be part of God's kingdom in Wales. He started attending nightly prayer meetings and he didn't miss one for 13 years, you know? And I mean, that is faithfulness. And yet God was doing something in him. God was moving in his one life and then used that later to influence other people. You know, we yeah. can't, we can't give away what we don't have in some ways, it's almost like um part of our job is, is thinking about the parable of the of the 10 virgins is there mm. will be a, a time when God moves in power and the you know the bridegroom comes, and at that point we we don't want to be going and looking for oil, we want to have right. our oil stored up, we want our flame to be burning at that point, and so there is like there is a preparatory peace and all this and some of that preparation on a macro scale is probably individual uh leaders individual churches experiencing more of the kingdom moving into greater you know boldness in the word and deed and power and trusting that god's going to use that um to do something larger in the future Mm -hmm. so um you had mentioned one thing to me james about like and this is really true. I don't know if this is true in LA as much as it is on the East Coast, but there is, I mean, the I, I haven't done like a Google. I'd be interested to test the Google word search on the usage of the term revival, but I mean, I just notice it everywhere. Not even just in, um, you know, in secular places too. Like my friend and I were remarking the latest brewery and. Providence is called Revival Brewery, you know, or I'm even thinking about, I'm going to geek out here for a minute, but even, even the um, Star Wars, the latest Star Wars movie or episode seven, The Force Awakens, you know, I've seen non-Christian people talk, like refer back to religious awakening to, to kind of describe this concept of the force waking up.
1: Hmm. But
0: I've noticed that among church leaders, um, folks are increasingly... Talking about revival, praying for revival, um thinking about it, sensing a need for it, and you were mentioning you feel like um, folks are there might be like reasons why this is sort of a pregnant moment that the church church leaders and folks are beginning to long for a move of God
2: yeah you know uh it, it is a fascinating thing, you know it, it's sort of like when you buy a new car you know, let's say you, you get a civic mm-hmm. and then you start noticing all the other civics on the road. You yeah. Know? Um, and maybe it's just because of that, but I kind of similar to you, it feels like more and more people are talking about it and yeah. communities that you wouldn't even think would talk about it. Like yeah. they don't seem like they're big in the power circle. Yeah. Uh, are talking about revival and what's yeah. that mean? There does seem to be an upswell of that. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, uh, how often is connected right like so it, our culture right Is in, in a, it's, our country it, it's in a wild place right now you know it's yeah. super polarized barely yeah. divided the sense of hope about where we're you know how to move forward as yeah. a society like i think whether whether you're left or right like there's yeah. a, a real sense of despair or, right yeah you know, what's gonna happen and
0: Well, it's Uh, like in the in the two thousand in the two thousand eight election, and I guess we're going to get all political here, so we'll lose half our (laughs) viewership. But part of this podcast is we're just we're going for it, guys. So here we go. In two thousand eight, Obama's slogan was all about hope, and then in two thousand sixteen, Trump's slogan was "Make America Great Again." And so, but even that slogan is interesting. Like as you're talking about where how people feel about America. Because if you're a a liberal, I mean, most liberals really don't like Donald Trump, but even if you're a, and they, and they feel like the country's headed in the wrong direction, but if you are a conservative or a Republican and you voted for Trump and you wear the MAGA hat, I mean, even wearing a MAGA hat is an indication that America needs to be made great again. Like there's something that's, so it's almost like the last election, if it revealed one thing, it was that. Folks feel like things are trending downward in the nation. I'm just this is Greg Johnson's reading <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you don't have to I mean, agree, James.
2: Like, yes. <laughs> uh, no, right. It does feel that way. Both sides, both sides feeling despair or, or anxiety to some degree for certain reasons. Um, both sides feeling powerless. Both sides feeling the contempt of the other side. Yeah. Both sides throwing contempt the other direction. How that spills into thanksgiving dinners and churches and coming up yeah for all networks, you. you know yeah, yeah we got this election tomorrow uh, you know from the time of this conversation I don't know what yeah it's tomorrow tomorrow by, the, tomorrow
0: by the time you listen to this podcast you know it's gonna be thanksgiving and you're about to sit down at the table with uncle you know jerry and <laughs> <laughs> yeah you could go yeah You're in for depending it. on how many glasses of wine he has it's gonna you know <laughs> right. sure. Yeah, you
2: got oddly specific there, uh, buddy. Yeah, but I, you know, I,
0: I don't have an uncle Jerry. Don't like you don't have an uncle
2: Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's that's there. And you know, I think there's a growing sense. Like, well, who knows if we're at the end of that? I would think another maybe two, four years from now, we might be at the end of it, where it just will start feeling. If it are, doesn't feel hopeless yet, it might feel hopeless then, and that. Yeah neither party will deliver on hope, promise, right. Right. right? And I think then that disconnect of like, well, then, you know, for either side, if you're just thinking like things are going wrong, yeah. I think both are looking for something transcendent or bigger yeah. or some greater power to yeah. intervene. Yeah. And, you know, it's it is the reaction of human beings, right? Like the idea of foxhole prayers or other kinds of things where, right. We try to work everything out with our resources and our strengths and our cleverness and all the stuff that we've been gifted with and we go for it. And then when we get to the end of it, yeah, the instinct of people is to pray. I think that's the image of God in us, to just call on something out yeah. there because we're at the end of what we've got. And I just think that that's such a, a palpable and kind of consistent feeling across the board Yeah, that politics on one angle add like family stuff and have like personal stuff and you just add all the different ways that on this side of heaven things are not the way they're supposed to be right all of it drives us in our souls in our very nature to something else something bigger something more loving and more generous than what we're seeing and so i do think that it would make sense that people would be seeking more revival now than ever
0: yeah
2: (laughs) and And maybe that's what it is for the next 20, 30 years. We just are going to be seeking and things are going to get worse. And, um, but as we call out and as we prepare for that, that maybe a move will happen in our midst.
0: But I think it also means, I mean, if the church is prepared to cut against the grain or, or to, to, to really fix our eyes on Jesus and, and be faithful to him and be filled with his power. I mean, I do think, a, you know, a candle the other night, I was actually up, up in Maine with some friends. And the power went out and uh, it is amazing. You put a candle up on a, in a high place and that in the, in the darkness, that candle will illuminate the entire room. You can ah. see all over the place. And yep. it doesn't look like much when the lights are on, but as things get dimmer, mm. um, the, the, the light has the potential to shine that much brighter. Well, hey, James, before we go, uh, tell us about your book.
2: I I think we want to write a book that's revival for the rest of us. You know, um, so much of the literature there is either super historic or Mm -hmm. it comes from one particular branch, probably represented best by this power circle, um, and seems to be written for those who are in that circle. Yeah. Could we have a resource there that would welcome someone coming from the other two circles to enter in and say, what would revival look like for the rest of us? And how could we be a part of that if we're particularly allergic to it or there's something about it that we're bummed about or there's maybe a misconception that we have? Uh, The hope of the book is to help people say, like, actually, you kind of want this. And this (laughs) is how then you prepare for that. And here's how you would lead in it. If it, you know, how would you, would you lead in the preparation and the ongoing nature of perhaps a localized revival? How would you do that? How would you lead it? Um, and so there's a lot of different corrections happening. Like you hear the word and deed and power trying to pull that together. You'll hear stuff where a lot of church leadership comes from the business world and we're trying to have skills. And how do you lead this spiritually? What are spiritual skills needed uh. to be able to? Discern what God is saying together, or uh, those kinds of things. So we we have elements there that it's really meant to be a leadership book. Uh, how do you how do you lead in revival? But it, it, it is also a primer on revival for the rest of us. Oh, that's great.
0: Well, James, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, and it's just awesome to talk with you. And uh, <laughs> I feel when I when I when I talk to you, James, I feel. Just a, a deeper sense of conviction that this topic is um, is important, and it's important. It's important for us to think about. It's important for us to long for. It's important for us to think rightly about it too. Yeah. And um, so wherever listeners, wherever you're kind of coming from, if you're coming from the the charismatic power circle, or if you're coming from the evangelical word circle, or the kind of more mainline. Um, uh, sacramental deed circle, social justice circle, we just pray that um, God is going to move you in love closer to the center, closer mm-hmm. to the heart of his kingdom that is a is a breakthrough in word, deed, and power. And um, just may you be open to that uh, this week and this month as different ministry op- opportunities are presented to you. Um, and so we'll just Uh, we will be praying for you and, uh, and we will be back again next time with our next episode.
1: All right, friends. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast and special thanks to James Chong for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a share, give us a like. Uh, send it to your friends rate us on itunes you can find us on the web at revivalleadershippodcast.com or you can shoot us an email at revivalleadershippodcast at gmail.com all right see you next time